0: Well, I was recently reminded that I am not the young man that I used to be. After about a month of moving stuff and carrying boxes, I was moving some stuff around the garage in my driveway. And on the very last box, I felt something in my back. And uh, it's been sore for like a week and a half now. And I get these pains. And I walk around kind of like I'm pregnant, you know, every once in a while. I make these funny noises when I stand up or sit down. You know, I never used to get pulled muscles. And if I got a pulled muscle in a day or two, it'd be fine. But now I'm a week and a half later and this morning I was like, ooh, that's still kinda there, isn't it? I refuse to say that I'm getting older. I prefer the term maturing. (laughs) Maturing has connotations of getting wiser and growing stronger through experiences you have gone through. Getting older well has other connotations. We all know this process, but we also know people who have grown older but not matured. Do you know these people in your life? Okay, People who are grown adults that still throw tantrums and cross their arms and pout when they don't get their way. Even in churches, you sometimes see this kind of behavior. Somebody recently told me this. I thought it was very funny. Do you know what a group of alligators is called? A gathering of alligators? A congregation. true. Congregation. I know, because I have both been bit by and wrestled with congregations before. Do you know what a gathering of vultures is sometimes called? A committee. A committee. And I have had those circling around above me before as well. And this is one of my favorites. Do you know what a gathering of baboons is called? A congress. You can interpret that however you want to. See, we all know people that have gotten older but not more mature, right? And when you put these people together, they don't get more mature together, right? Immature behavior tends to get worse when you put them together in groups. Today, we turn to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Corinth is this very prosperous city on the Isthmus of Corinth. And uh, it's it's well known because there were these two ports that came way into the land. And if you if you wanted to get from one side to the other, normally you'd have to sail all the way around this peninsula. But there was a road that was pretty short and pretty flat that would go from one place to the other. So sometimes it was more economic for ships to dock at one port, unload their cargo, cargo, and then take it by land to another ship. It was faster than sailing all the way around. They even had it to where small ships could be brought out of the water and then rolled across on poles to get to the other side. But of course, the city of Corinth was where you would have to stay while you waited for this process to happen. So it was actually a very wealthy city. They also had had a big sort of like Olympic Games in the Greco-Roman Empire. So it was a very wealthy city. And a very diverse city although also a wild city as you can imagine it was sort of a stop off for sailors while their cargo was getting moved from one end to the other Um, some scholars have suggested that kind of what happens at corinth stays at corinth uh if you know what i mean uh kind of a wild city but but a city that a lot of people were at and a lot of different kinds of people this was it had a very strong freed slave population so if you were a slave and then earned your freedom, you could go to Corinth and make a life for yourself, even get pretty wealthy. But there were some class issues then, because you might be wealthy, but you were previously a slave. Right. Or you might be from a good, good class, but now you're not from a good class anymore. And so there were there were all kinds of sort of political and class systems that were fighting at Corinth. a uh, Difficult place to be. Now, Paul, on his missionary journey, went there. And with a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, helped start the church and really get the church fired up in Corinth. But he was only there for about a year and a half. And then some struggles with the the Jewish leadership that was there sort of forced him to leave. And they thought it was better for them to move on and the church to be sort of ethnic to that area. After he left, a uh, young sort of dynamic preacher named Apollos came Apollos is known for being young and exciting, but not really knowing what he was doing. Uh, He wasn't trained by disciples of Jesus. He was trained by disciples of John the Baptist. And so a whole bunch of things about Jesus he didn't understand. And it was actually Aquila and Priscilla that took him aside and really explained to him the gospel in a way that he understood so that he could teach it. And so Apollos comes after Paul and sort of helps take the church. Um, But this is a church that's pretty messed up. It's pretty prideful. They see themselves as super spiritual. In fact, one of the things Paul does again and again in the letter is tell them that they're not real spiritual uh, or questions how spiritual they are. They are, in Paul's words, puffed up. They are not super spiritual. In fact, he goes so far as to call them spiritual babies. Did you catch that reference? I don't know if you've ever been called a baby. It's never nice. Okay, It's never nice. Paul kind of hard on this church because he knows them well and he sees them, kind of as his children. More than that, there's a lot of division and strife in the church. Whether it's over issues of sexual ethics or communion practices, there's a lot of fighting and disagreeing going on. One of the biggest debates is over which leader people came in under. So there are lots of leaders, that a lot of people, they're saying, hey, I'm one of Paul's disciples. I came in when it was Paul, like I go back. And other people are saying, well, you know, Apollos, that was where it was at, and I came under Apollos. And there's other people that are saying, no, 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 I follow Jesus. I don't follow any of those guys. I follow the original Jesus. And there's all this fighting going on back and forth. And so Paul writes this church, and we know it's a back and forth because he answers some of their letters and writes them again. But he's, he's calling these people that he loves, that he cares about, that he knows, but he's calling them to be more mature. Now, let me say before I divide into this text This is one of my favorite texts it's one of my life verses and i realized as i was researching this and thinking about it again this week that there is a a small parallel between uh, a pastor that retired and a new pastor coming in but that's not actually why i picked this in fact i haven't found any of the issues going on here to be going on out here and so that is not why i picked it i I picked this and i wanted uh, don't jump ahead of me and think where i'm going because that's not where i'm going I wanted to pick this, I wanted to talk about this because I think it has so much to say about what it means to mature and grow in following Christ. And and Paul does it as he typically does with metaphors, with three different metaphors. The first image is that of a fleshy Christian. Some translations say carnal Christian. He also calls them kind of similar, spiritual babies. Um, He says, you're not... But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Literally, you could translate that fleshy people as infants in Christ. He says they're not spiritual, but they are people of the flesh, fleshy humans. Now, Paul does not think bodies are bad, but in Paul's imagery, you have the flesh and the spirit and the flesh is supposed to be like your human nature. Okay? This human thing about you that makes you bent towards sin. And if you don't believe in a human nature, you didn't have kids. Okay? Kids automatically know to lie. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. You don't have to teach a kid to cause destruction. They already know how to do that. It's ingrained. That's your, that's your human nature, the fleshy part of you. But the spirit is this new thing Christ is doing within you. And so Paul talks about this as the flesh versus the spirit. Not that your body's bad, but it's this image of your spirit and your fleshly desires sort of fighting each other. You know, and, and you have to have had those moments, right? Where I know I shouldn't do this, but there's something in me that wants to do this. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul is saying, well, you, you got to lean into one and lean away from the other. You need to be the, the word spiritual. Actually, for Paul, the word means spirit led or spirit controlled. We need to let, not just our spirit, but the Holy Spirit within us, begin to control us. You understand, for Paul, this is not an automatic process. When you become a Christian, you're carnal, you're fleshy, you're human. That human nature is still in you. And actually, the longer you're a Christian, the more you realize it's still there, right? But over time, you learn. But but when you become a Christian, you're really what, what some people would call, and Paul seems to think of as a carnal Christian. You make this move from not knowing Christ to now knowing Christ, but there's still you're still guided by your flesh. You're still fleshy. Still guided by your carnal self. And it's over time that you learn to let the Spirit lead you and come out of what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. But that's a process. And we all know people that have not gone on that process, right? We all know people that have not done that. And Paul is looking at the Church of Corinth and saying, you know what? By now... You should be eating meat, but you're still on baby food. By now you should be maturing and you should be growing, but you're not. And one of the signs that you're not is how divisive the church is. If you were, disunity is a sign of immaturity for Paul. If you can't come together and talk about stuff and deal with stuff with some respect, then you've got a problem. And the problem is immaturity. Disunity and division are signs of Immaturity. The church at Corinth isn't growing. They're not maturing. They're being, in Paul's words, merely human. And then in some cases, they're bragging about it. I'm the Apollos crew. I was there. And there's all kinds of bad sexual ethics, but look look how understanding we're being and how grace-filled we're being. Paul says, you got this really backwards. You're bragging about how bad you are. That's what I hear. From there, Paul goes to his second image, and that is farming. He says, "What is Apollos? What am I? We're servants of God." And here's one of my core verses in the Bible. This is one of my life. Like this, this verse really messes with me, and it's going to maybe seem simple to you at first. I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. Whatever we do. Whatever we work on, we better understand who actually brings the growth. Have you ever farmed or have you ever had a garden? What's your job in the garden? To make the plants grow? No, you can't make the plants grow. You can go out there and dance and sing to them all you want. They'll grow or they won't grow. You can set the environment for plants, but you can't make things grow. You set up the environment, but you can't force it to grow. Paul says he didn't grow the church. He didn't grow the people apollos didn't grow the people didn't grow the church any growth that came came from god bringing the growth and i'm going to be honest i don't like this i want to bring the growth you ever have this feeling i want to bring the growth if i'm working on this i want to bring the growth i want to preach this perfect sermon that changes your life i want to do that i want to bring some growth but you know what i don't bring growth i don't bring growth and the, better you're, the sooner you figure it out, the better your life's going to be. You don't bring the growth. The whole temptation from the beginning has been to be like God. And ever since then, we've been trying to put ourselves in the position of God. I bring growth. I change lives. I make my perfect family. Okay? I build up my church. No, you don't. No, you don't. And it's sinful to think that you're the God piece of this equation. Okay? I save myself by my goodness. No, you don't. God brings the growth. God builds the church. God grows the people and matures the people. Now, but there's a balance in this verse. Two sides of the same coin. Sometimes when we get to where, oh, God brings the growth, so guess what I can do? Twiddle my thumbs and just wait for God to do it. That's not what the verse says either. What does Paul say? I planted, Apollos watered, God brought the growth. You and I are responsible to do the things that God puts before us to do. We're responsible to be faithful to what God's calling is. So if God calls us to plant, we better get out there and plant. If he calls us to water, we better water. If God calls us to speak to somebody that we know that's struggling through something, we, we better be faithful to that. But well, We never get, better never get the jobs confused. You understand? This is the balance, the constant balance, that Christians that are mature have to go through. Can I let God be God and still be faithful in my part? Right? But that's a tension throughout the Bible, right? Does God save the people or does Noah save the people? Yes, they both do. Noah doesn't build the the boat then we got trouble, but God calls him to build the boat. Does God lead the people of Israel or does Moses lead the people of Israel? Yes, they both do. There's this tension in the Bible of people needing to be faithful to what God does, even though God is doing the work and bringing the growth. And that is a tough line to follow, but it is the line of Christians. And it is a line that we often mess up and that Corinth is definitely messing up. God brings the growth and we have to do our part. It takes maturity to understand that. But if we begin to understand that, that's where unity comes in, you understand? Because it's not all up to me and it's not all up to you and it's not all up to us to get it all right and we don't have to fight over everything. We can trust God to do His part, well, we try to work together to faithfully do what God calls us to do. It's not easy to plant and water while understanding that God, that God brings the growth, but it is what we need to do. And what an honor it is that God calls us to plant and water. Do you know, this is the fact, God does not need you, okay? God does not need you, okay? God is God, and if you think he needs you, then, then that's a problem, Okay? God does not need you, God wants you. God calls you to help to be part of his work in this world. Why? Because he wants relationship with you. Because he wants to use you. And what an honor it is that God called you and I to be here at Northminster to do some amazing things in this community. And what an honor it is that God puts you in your place of work and he puts you in your family and he puts you in the relationships you have so that he can do something through you. Because he didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He chose to bring you in on his plan. And what an honor it is, and what a shame it is when we either take over his plan or do nothing. we got to balance those two things. Now, Paul moves from planting to another image, and that is the image of a building. Paul loves this image, um, and he comes back to it quite a bit in his letters. That of a building. He likens our lives in our church to the image of a building needing a good foundation—you need a solid, level foundation. Then the house will hold up over time. Uh, anybody who builds knows that. Okay, you need a start. You need it straight. If any of you have ever worked on an old house where nothing is square, it'll drive you crazy, right? Because nothing works. You have to find something square to build everything else on. Now, imagine building a house in the first century. There's no laser sights, there's no levels. I mean, you have to be meticulous in getting rocks as flat as you can to lay out exactly how this building's gonna go. Otherwise, if you don't lay the right foundation, the house is never gonna look right and it's gonna fall over over time. You gotta have the right foundation, the right base. And everybody knew this because everyone had seen a house built and they had seen how meticulous it was to lay a foundation in a sandy area too, right? They got to do it right in Israel. They got to do it right. Jesus even picks up on this. You remember the story? Wise man builds his house upon the rock, and the foolish man builds his house upon the. Very common image because everybody understood it. Everybody understood it. So Paul comes to this image that everybody knows because everyone had seen a builder struggle to get the level just right. What he says is, you know what? When I started this church, I laid a foundation. And the foundation wasn't me. What does he say in the text? If you go back and read it later. It's Christ. Christ is the foundation of what I built. And then Apollos came along and built on that foundation. And now we've got this house started. We've got this building being built. And it's being tested. It's being tested by questions in the community. It's being being tested by this this disunity. And kind of like storms and floods and fire, over time, you're going to see what kind of foundation this house actually has, right? Over time, it's going to be revealed. And so Paul is asking this to the church of Corinth. What's your foundation like? Is your foundation still Christ or has it become something else? Because Paul's questioning. He's saying, okay, if I'm seeing all this disunity, I'm seeing some cracks in the building. I'm wondering, is this the right foundation? Are you doing a good job of building on this foundation? Or do you have this wonderful foundation and you're building next to it? What are you building your foundation on? How are you doing at building that? Have you continued to build and grow on that foundation? No, you haven't. You've lost that. You haven't matured. You're still babies. Paul is worried about this church at Corinth that he sees as his children, wondering what time will tell about them, and not liking what the time is already telling about them. Now in homiletics or preaching class in seminary, they talk about how you need to have one or two concrete applications for your sermons for the people to take away. The problem is, I don't think the Bible always gives you one or two concrete solutions or things to take away. Sometimes I think the Bible is really meant to haunt you and stick with you and mess with you and ask you a bunch of questions so that all week you're thinking about this text. And I hope after you leave here, you pick up your Bible and read 1 Corinthians 3 again for yourself and keep wondering about these things. But but this text is a text that has haunted me for years. And so let me ask you a few questions to get you thinking about what applications you might have for this. Where have you not matured as a Christian? Where are there parts of your life that you have not matured in? Where are there relationships that you haven't let Christ really be the foundation of and you're still kind of being a baby? Okay, Where are those places? Where are you still a spiritual baby? Where is that part of your life you just haven't let Christ really mess with and you're the same as when you started your Christian walk? Where are you trying to be God and bring growth yourself? Where have you said, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to do it, and you have God have no part in what you're doing? Where is God calling you to be faithful, to do something, to plant, to water, to have a relationship, to have a conversation, and you're avoiding it? Lord, Lord, fix this, fix this. Lord, I don't want to water, though. Where do you have those things where you're waiting for God, but you're not waiting expectantly enough to do something in your waiting? Where is God calling you to be faithful, but you're not obeying? Is Christ the foundation of your life or have you built your life around something else? How, how are you building your life in Christ? Are you continuing to grow and get stronger and learn and build your life? And what about our church? Where do we need to mature as a body? Where do we need to be faithful to plant and water? Where are there some new fields that God's saying, let's start planting over here and see in the long run where some new things might start? Where do we need to be more faithful? Where do we need to be more expecting, expecting of God? Where are we trying to bring our own growth instead of expecting God to bring the growth? And here's a little sidebar. If you want to know how you're doing on this balancing thing of God's work versus our work, I would suggest you take a hard look at your prayer life. That's the indicator a lot for me. If you're not praying, you're not expecting God to bring the growth. You're bringing the growth. Okay, If you're praying a lot, but you're sitting on your hands while you're praying, well, then maybe you're out of balance the other way. Prayer is our way of keeping God as the source of our growth in our life. Prayer is the fuel of mature Christians. So if you're going to be mature and you're going to get this balance right, dive into your prayers. And let me end with this. We live in a world that is full of disunity and division. If you don't think so, turn on the news. And the news this week was very divided, I thought. Whatever sides you're on, the division is a problem. It's a sign of immaturity. And unfortunately, I think Christians ought to be keepers of peace and bringers of unity. And often, we're as divisive as everybody else. I think our world desperately needs mature Christians to spread peace and words of wisdom when we too often look just like the world. So may we all be matured by the Spirit, remain faithful in our planting and watering, and may God bring mighty growth in our lives and in our church. Amen.